Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to episode 74 of the Thread podcast. Uh, last episode, we talked about uh, Acts chapter 3 and how to minister healing to the sick as a sign that proves the the truth of the gospel. Today, we want to talk about um, maximizing your opportunities to evangelize people. You know how to how to take advantage of those open doors when God throws a door open and gives you a chance to witness. Uh, you know, I think all of us want to be a witness. Uh, again, I quoted Peter Wagner last time. I'll quote him again this time. Peter Wagner said he believes that only about 10% of the body of Christ is really gifted to evangelize. Like, that's the main thing that they do every day. Uh, And I think that would be a pretty powerful church if you had 10% of the church uh, on a daily basis working as soul winners out in the community and really having a heart. It'd be great if everybody did it, but, you know, there are people that are just made for it. And uh, But they've developed their, um, they've developed this gift and I know for me, I'm an introvert, and so I spent a lot of time agonizing as a young Christian over how to witness uh, in a way that was natural for me. So today we want to look at the opportunity that arose after the great healing of the crippled man at the gate and get some lessons for ourselves as we share Jesus with our friends and coworkers. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, run and get one. Come right back for this episode of Thread. Okay, soul winning. I want to start with a story about myself. I was in seminary, and I was working a summer job at a company in Atlanta that made satellite parts. And um, it was lunchtime, and I was sitting in the canteen. I had a you know, whole table full of my companions. And somebody asked me about my education. I said, well, I was in seminary. And they said, why are you, why are you in seminary? And I started telling the story. I said, well, Jesus uh, changed my life. Now, I wish you could have seen the effect of the word Jesus. When I said Jesus, not as a curse, but as a, in reverence, there was a hush that came over my whole part of the lunchroom. It's like everything got silent, you know, like those E.F. Hutton commercials uh, from the 80s. And um, the whole room just went silent, and, and I realized I had everyone's attention. And I just crumbled under it. So I kept talking, but I, you know, I kept talking in my normal voice. And I miss in just a little bit, you know, the room buzz picked back up and everybody started talking again. Uh, and I, I thought about that a lot and I wished I had done it differently. I wasn't prepared to do it and my mind wasn't ready for the opportunity. Now, a few years later, 20 years later, fast forward and Sherry and I were sitting in an airport in China. And Sherry was showing her pictures out of her computer to a lady that was very interested to practice her English. And um, the lady tried to give her a gift. And the gift was a a Buddhist talisman to put on her neck to keep her safe. And Sherry looked at the gift and the lady could see the hesitation. And so uh, we began to explain to her that uh, our God doesn't allow us to have idols or things from that. And I started talking about Jesus. And in that moment, the airport terminal that we were in, also a hush came over them. 
this communist China. And everybody tuned in. And I started to explain to her about the black heart and how it affects all of our lives and just destroys the good and, and how Jesus comes to, to give us life and to take out the black heart and put in a beautiful heart. And as I said that, this girl comes you know, scooting from across the room and kneels down in front of us and she says, you know Jesus? And I said, yes, I do. I'm, his, I'm a disciple of his. And she said, I know Jesus. And she turns to the crowd and raises her voice. Uh, even more. And she goes, uh, these people are here to say that Jesus is not just God of white people in the West. He is a God of all people. He is a God for China. And she just, she was incredibly bold, you know. Um, Fruitful soul winning flows from taking immediate advantage of opportunities that God arranges through circumstances. It's a window of opportunity. It's just a few seconds of everyone's focused attention. Now, in the case of our scripture, a miracle had just occurred in a public place, the healing of a 40-year-old crippled beggar who was a fixture at the temple gate every day. And I want us to go back to that story, Acts chapter 3, verse 11. And uh, the man, verse 11, it says he was uh, clinging to Peter and John. He's physically holding them. He won't let them go. And all the people ran together to them in the porch called Solomon's, and they were greatly amazed. Now look at verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded. See, Peter saw it. He saw that's a sign of a good soul winner. Peter seizes that moment. The Holy Spirit has authority that he's given to Peter. Remember Acts 1.8, you shall receive uh, dunamis, power, authority from God. Uh, strength and might, and Peter uses his authority, and he just takes over the situation. You know, I wish I could go back and be, um, you know, be 21 or 22 and and be in that lunchroom again, and everybody go quiet, and, you know, I know the Apostle Paul would have stood up on the chair and preached and called him to repentance, and I wish I had done that. I wish I could go back and get my chance again. All I can do is move forward and do my best to catch the new opportunities that God is giving me all the time to share Jesus. The Holy Spirit will do this. He will create an opportunity, but you got to have your game on. You got to be ready for it and looking for your chance. Uh, as you know, as Peter's epistle says, be always ready to give an answer. So ministerial authority flows out of people who take this bold use. Now, everybody has run to the healed man, and they're looking at Peter, and Peter responded, and he says, why are you looking at us as though we by our own power or godliness have made this man walk? I think this is an important point to start with. Ministerial authority you know, also flows from humility, and it flows from innocence. Peter deflects this glory instead of basking in it. And we need to be really careful, you know, that we don't steal God's glory by giving the impression that something in you ever causes success or miracles. And Peter says in verse 13, God did it. God did it, and God did it to glorify and to endorse Jesus. And he begins now his chance to share preaching with all these people. They're quiet. They're focused on him. 
he just speaks up and takes over and he starts the gospel message. Remember that the scripture said the gospel has the power, just the gospel, just say it. If people can hear it and understand it, it has the power to bring salvation to them. So we have to share the gospel out of love for the people. And the gospel begins, Here's this is important to know though, the gospel begins with our condemnation as sinners. And that's where Peter starts. Now again, go back to the story of me as a young soul winner. I went to um, Parchman Prison uh, in Mississippi, and I went to another prison near uh, Baymanette, Alabama. And I'm going to guys that are on death row and I'm trying to minister to them and get them to pray with me. And one of them agreed to. And I can I remember the day, me as a young minister, and I was afraid to lead their sinner's prayer with the word sins. Because I'm thinking in my mind, oh, it might make them offended. They might think, who do I think I am to make them ask God to forgive them of sins? Uh, and I went, I went through that experience with him. I called it mistakes and, you know, all kinds of other words. Um, you know, people just can't be saved. If they're offended at the thought that they would be called a sinner, well, then they just can't be saved. That's the point. And this is maybe another reason why the church is in a mess in so many places. We've got unrepentant sinners in the church, still proud, still shamelessly doing wrong, and then somehow believing that they are saved because they did the noble deed of asking Jesus to come into their heart. You know, they didn't repent. They didn't admit. Uh, and this is where the gospel starts. We must all come humbly to the foot of the cross and confess our sins and our unworthiness to God. Don't think you can make a side entrance for anybody. All have sinned. It starts there. And Peter knows it. And that's where Peter starts his presentation. He is going to show them that the God of Abraham, verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. Uh, let him do miracles everywhere. You delivered him up. You denied him in the presence of Pilate. When Pilate was determined to let him go, you denied the Holy One. You asked that a murder be granted to you. Verse 15, you killed the Prince of Life. You killed him. And then Peter says, so now they are thoroughly convicted. Peter says, and God raised him back to life. And we are all witnesses. Now, that's the role of a believer. We bear personal witness that Jesus is alive and that he has power over all. We are witnesses. The word witness comes from the Greek word martyr. And because so many witnesses were killed for confronting their culture with the gospel, the word martyr came, came to mean not just a witness, but someone who gives their testimony even at the cost of their life. Peter says that's what we are. We are witnesses. We will die giving witness that Jesus is alive and that he is Lord of all. Um, verse 15, we are witnesses. Verse 16 says, Faith in Jesus' name has given this man, and I like the expression, perfect soundness. The Greek says, tain olak lerion. It means perfect health, being whole 
in every single way. You're whole in your emotions, in your mental state, in your body, in your relationships. You are perfectly whole. God has repaired a lifetime of damage in an instant. Isn't that really what the Lord does? And isn't that what salvation is? That God comes into our life and he repairs in an instant a lifetime of damage and gives us perfect soundness. Now, I want you to notice something. Even as Peter has convicted them of their sins, and he would, and this is the same Peter that denied Jesus and would tell that story openly. Uh, he also was a sinner, and that's not something Peter hid. So sin as the reality of the human condition, that is the foundation of the gospel presentation. But notice in verse 17, Peter still maintains, and this is important, it's about the tone of the evangelist. Peter maintains community with his hearers. Even as he rebukes them for their sadistic cruelty to the Son of God, he, he maintains community with them. That's really important because I think the tone of evangelism and the thundering, self-righteous you know, preaching has done more damage for the cause of Christianity, especially in the West, than anything I can imagine. It's not that the gospel is wrong. It's there's got to be the right tone. You know, you got to choose the right stance and posture. If you're going to condemn others of sin, uh, you've got to find a way to do that and not sound self-righteous. Now, here's Peter. He says, after he you know, says, God has done a miracle. This man is standing right here in front of you as proof of what I'm saying. The, the name of Jesus alone, faith in that name, healed this man. God has raised Jesus he is Lord of all. He always was Lord. You denied him. You killed him. You are conspirators in his death. And God convicts you today of your sin. And verse 17, he says, but now brothers. See, he calls them brothers. But now brothers, I know that you did it in ignorance. And then he looks at, here's the Pharisees and priests and scribes all gathering around. And he says, and also your rulers did what they did in ignorance. In verse 18, he says, actually, these are things that were foretold in the prophets that would happen to God's son. Now, a little side note, Peter doesn't call them my rulers. He does not anymore see himself under the authority of priest-led Judaism. He is under the authority of Jesus Christ, and he answers to the body of Christ, and he answers to God himself, and he can be rebuked you know, show him in Scripture where he's wrong, and he'll be rebuked. But he does not any longer see the priests as his leaders and uh, his spiritual authority. He says, your rulers. Uh, verse 18, verse 19. He brings them, and this is very important. After he's convicted them of their sin, he shows um, community with them. He shows that there's an open door of opportunity with God. Then he tells them what to do about their state. And the first word he says is, you need now to repent. You need to repent. You need to acknowledge your guilt. Don't hide it. Don't call it a mistake. Say what it was and stand up and claim your sin. And then you need to turn your back on your sin, burn your bridges, do whatever you have to do to get away from that lifestyle. Repent. Secondly, be converted. It's an interesting word. Uh, it, it's passive. He doesn't say convert yourself. 
He says, uh, allow yourself to be converted by God. Allow, open up. Open up to God's grace to work in you, and he will convert you. He's going to take you and convert you from a doubter to a believer. He's going to convert you from someone who's proud to someone who's humble. He's going to convert you uh, you know, from someone who doesn't know him to someone who does. You're going to be transformed. You're going to be, as Corinthians says, 2 Corinthians, uh, a new creature. You know, you're going to become a new creature. God's going to bring this about in you. And he makes him a promise. If you will repent, that's for you to do. And if you will be converted, that's for God to do. But you've got to open up and let him convert you. Do this, and two things are going to happen. Verse 19, he says, your sins are going to be blotted out. Everything you ever did is going to go away. Tell him about it. That's a beautiful promise. You start your life over when you accept Jesus, and not just accept Jesus, when you repent of your sin, when you allow God to bring new birth to you, your sins will be blotted out. And not just that, that just brings you to a zero state. Then you will receive times of refreshing. Times of refreshing. See, Peter preached not just a doctrine of salvation, but an experience. An experience of being converted by God. Having your inner nature changed. And an experience of refreshing, times of refreshing, seasons of ongoing life coming into you from the tangible presence of the Lord. There's a lot in the gospel, a lot of beautiful promises. Peter lifts it up and he he tells him, you do the hard work of repenting. You allow God to come in your heart and do surgery and totally rewire you and change you. I promise you, your sins are gone and you're going to live in times of refreshing And then verse 20 says, and because, you know, when we get the mission of seeking and saving the lost completed, then God will send Jesus back to be Lord over all things. Heaven must hold him until all has been restored because restoration uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit is a key New Testament ministry theme. Now, in verse 21 through 24, Peter assures them that all this is biblical doctrine. It's easily found in the words of the prophets, and they can open their Bible and verify what he has said. Verse 25, he reminds them of their privileged position. He says, you are the sons of the prophets who saw these things and wrote about it, and you are sons of the covenant between God and Abraham. And that covenant foretold that through a descendant of Abraham, all the families of the world would be blessed and would be brought under God's blessing again. And already in verse 25 and 26, Peter and the Holy Spirit are thinking about the mission to the Gentiles the mission to the outsiders, the families of the earth that God wants to bless through the gospel. Peter says to the Jews, you get the gospel first. God has come here to bless you, not to hurt you, come to give you a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. You get the gospel first. Christ has come to bless you, and Christ has come to turn you away from your iniquities. Take authority, my brothers, my sisters. When God opens doors for you, to share Jesus with people, to share the gospel message, the story of salvation. Lead them to know what to do about it. Don't just leave them with the story. Tell them your testimony. Tell them that this is for them. And then lead them to repent and allow God to convert them by his powerful spirit. And you can be a soul winner. You know, There's somebody out there for you to bring to Christ. And he wants to use you. 
uh, if you would like a book about this, I've actually written a book about this, and um, it's called I Want to Bear Fruit. If you've got a Kindle, it's available on the uh, Kindle store. Just look up Chuck Quinley, I Want to Bear Fruit. Uh, you can also order this. If you just send me an email, I'll tell you how. Quinley.com. You can order this and we'll ship it to you. About $10 a book. God bless you. If you want to write me personally, Chuck at Quinley.com. I would love to hear from you. That's all for now. See you next time.